Hello and welcome to Women Who Self Care, the podcast that seeks to encourage women and girls to put their health and their ambitions first. My name is Boo and our guest today is Polly Swan. Polly is a junior doctor and has recently helped out with the COVID situation. But not only is she saving other people's lives, she's also an Olympic GB rower and a former world and European champion in the women's coxless pairs, having won the 2013 World Rowing Championships at the Chungyu in Korea. She's also extremely funny and super nice. So, Polly, we're official. We are official. <laughs> Ready okay. and action. <laughs> okay, so, pardon the pun, but I have to say it. What pulled you into rowing? Oh, I like what you did there. Very good. <laughs> What pulled me into rowing? Well, um, do you know, I don't really know. I think when I was younger, I used to do a bit of sailing and I was kind of all right at hockey, um, but I kind of thought, well, I quite like this, you know, being on the water thing. um, And I just kind of wanted to give something new a go. And actually, interestingly, the rowing, like head rowing coach or teacher at my school came up to me. So I must have been like 12 at the time. And he said, oh, you should definitely try out rowing. You know, you'd be really great. Basically, because I was like six foot and 12 years old. Um, <laughs> and so then I was like, oh, OK, fine. Yeah, I will give it a go. And I, just, and I kind of just thought it would be like really leisurely and nice and like, oh, out on the water and didn't quite realize what rowing was like I'd never watched it on TV or the Olympics or anything like that um, um, but you know I think what made me fall in love with it like I would say I'm a pretty naturally competitive person um, and it it allowed me to but also I'm naturally competitive but I like to do that in a team so I wouldn't say like I'm an individual athlete I'm not particularly good at just doing it for myself I need to have sort of team members around me to push for and and to sort of commit to and and try and build you know a sort of team ethos and team goals together so all of those things kind of ticked the boxes with rowing and I think that's probably why you know nearly two decades later I'm still here (laughs) and still doing it Um, and I'm so intrigued by that actually you know because you started in school and I don't think many people will have had the opportunity to do rowing at school and so the first time I met rowers was at university for instance and if I compare the rowers training to I don't know people in the hockey or netball team the rowers seem to be on another level of intensity with their training you know up at 5am to go on a group run and then get in the water before their lectures to then go back in the gym to train. It seemed so intense. They lived and breathed it. So I'm wondering when that sort of intensity starts, are you sort of prepped for it at school? Is it as intense as it is at university or or is it just been like part of the hockey or netball team? Yeah, no, it is an intense sport. And do you know, I think they struck a really good balance at my school. So I know nowadays, you know, some kids are going and training early in the morning and before they go down to school. And um, we would never really do that. We used to train uh, probably every day apart from Fridays and Sundays. Um, and either that would be like, you know, after school club kind of thing um, or on the water on a Saturday or 
you know, those kind of things. And then what would take you away in the sort of intense side of things was the racing. So you kind of travel all over the country. So you might leave on like a Friday evening from Edinburgh and then you'll go up to Inverness or all the way down to Nottingham or London or whatever. And almost every weekend you're kind of going somewhere new and and racing somewhere new. And and that obviously, I mean, that's a huge commitment. And, um, but I, I kind of think, you know, the fact that you're, I don't know, 15, 16, and you get to go away with all your pals. And, yeah. you know, it, it was yeah. th- that it didn't feel maybe as intense as it as it could have been. Um, it just fe- felt like, you know, you're going away on trips and having jollies and it, it was actually really good fun. Um, and then, yes, okay, there is the training side of things. And, you know, I think at school, they definitely struck the balance where, you know, we would have really, really intense sessions maybe like a circuits class on a Monday or you know um sort of testing ourselves in pieces and stuff like that so uh where you do almost like mini races say at the weekend or whatever um and yeah it was intense but certainly for me it wasn't the kind of do you know like I always looked at all the swimmers at school who would already have done a session by the time they got to school and I I didn't subscribe to that and thank goodness because I am not a morning person despite my many years of now rowing (laughs) I find it very difficult to get out of bed so I'm really glad that I didn't have to do that when I was at school no way I assume that you'd be like Chris Traeger from Parks and Recreation super positive and yeah let's go do 10k before work (laughs) no I am opposite I am not worth speaking to in the morning unless I've had at least a cup of tea and a coffee it's just yeah Uh, we actually have a rule in the house that we don't really talk until i've i've been fully caffeinated it's yeah it's not good (laughs) basically bought into two decades of trying to squeeze my body clock into something it really really dislikes so (laughs) i've been reading about that really really recently actually how morning people and evening people tend to have a genetic predisposition between being either one of those But as they always say, just because someone says you're something doesn't mean you have to become it. But with your genes, just because it's written in your DNA to have that predisposition, it doesn't mean that you can't manipulate it or kind of rewrite your code. However, it does mean that it does take more effort um, and you might revert back to being that sort of night bird, even if you've been a morning bird kind of thing or force yourself for the past two decades um to get up in the morning it might still be difficult but it doesn't have to be as difficult there's things you can do and also if there's any teenagers listening just by the way you need more sleep than adults and generally the older you get the less sleep you need and teenagers have a predisposition to needing that sleep in the morning you're getting up a bit later and actually going to bed later seems to be a bit more natural to them I read it in um, Matthew Walker's uh, Why We Sleep. Yeah. Um, such a good book. And it made me think like, oh, that's why I'm so good at sleeping in until nine or 10. But actually, do you know what? Funny thing is, is I'm not really an even- a night owl either. I just really like sleep. Like I could just sleep all the time. <laughs> so maybe I'm just evolutionary, really stunted, not doing any of the watching. I'm so selfish. I'm not watching over any of the like community. <laughs> But anyway, there we go. Okay, made a mental note. Don't be in Polly's tribe in the next apocalypse. Arguably, though, arguably, Polly, it is a testament to your own mental strength and will. You know, if your body's that averse 
for being awake. <laughs> you know, every time you wake up, it's like a, a triumph. Come on, it's time to go. Yeah, no, that is actually, oh, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I even, oh, I just impress myself every day by actually getting out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> there you are. I mean, welcome, Polly. Um, so that drive, as we've now very clearly established, begins the moment you wake up and choose to wake up and not be asleep. And clearly that drive has really served you in that not only are we speaking to an Olympic rower, we're also speaking to a junior doctor, which for most people is the thing, isn't it? It's a big commitment, big decision to make, etc. So my question is to you, what made you choose or how actually did you even get into Olympic rowing whilst also being a doctor? Because from the outside, it seems to be happening at the same time or did happen at the same time. So it's kind of, I would say it's a relatively long story, um, but kind of to start off with, I would say when I was younger, I was always that girl with potential and got told by, you know, so many people, gosh, you know, you're tall, you're strong, you have so much potential. But there's always, I mean, for me, definitely a lot of self-doubt, um, a lack of confidence and, and ultimately I just didn't really have the... I don't think like the sort of mental tenacity to really push myself to the limit and, and see how far I could take rowing. And I, I knew I loved it. You know, I met a lot of people through rowing that I loved and, you know, get to travel these places. And, and certainly at like a domestic level, I was doing all right. But whenever it came to GB trials or, or you know, the real kind of intense stuff where you're um, tested as an individual that's where I used to always fail and 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 I never used to sort of say right I want to go to the Olympics or anything it was almost like I didn't I wouldn't draw a line of the sa- in the sand of a goal that I wanted to achieve because if I didn't define it it was almost like I would never fail because I hadn't defined what I wanted to achieve um, and so then it just meant that I kind of ticked along um, the girl with potential but never really realizing it and I think one year um I decided that kind of enough was enough and if I I loved the sport so much and I did have potential I wanted to be able to realize that um so I actually started training under a new coach a guy called George Warnock over in Glasgow and he yeah. was just great I mean he is kind of very old school um coach and calls a spade a spade he's very direct and that worked really well with my personality and he was just really good at um kind of getting you to test your boundaries and and doing it in a sort of fun and relaxed way that it didn't matter there was no pressure you just do your best and you know um he kind of absolutely loved the sport the way that I love it and um he was just really good at kind of leading me down the path to just build a bit more confidence in myself and um so then we went down to GB trials um for my age category so under 23s um and I ended up winning for my um for my discipline I ended up winning the trials on my side um because obviously with rowing you you um you've got one one or so you go to one side or the other and I think that kind of was the the start of it, really. So that was 2010. Um, and then from there, I went and did under-23s. And um, I remember really vividly on 
our um, flight back, we were coming back from Belarus, and um, a guy called Pete Shepherd, who's one of the development, um, I don't know, or development officer, I suppose you would say, in, in Britain, and he's been, you know, in that role looking after the juniors and under 23s in development squad for years and years. You know, I've known him since I was probably 16. Um, oh. <laughs> and he said, Do you know, Paul, if you're really serious about this, you know yeah. it's 2012 in two years I think you could be part of the Olympic team and but I think if you want to do that I think you're good enough to but you need to make a decision and and you need to decide if you want to move down south and and trial for that or um you know kind of that's kind of the only way really um so this was massive shock for me because I was sort of got my, you know, GB vest and had finally achieved what I thought I could never achieve and, you know, was going home back to medicine and was going to call rowing a day and, and leave it yeah. at that. Um, and then there was this new carrot and I thought, wow, cool, a home Olympics would be amazing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that's why I... Uh, yeah that conversation had a big effect on me and and again because I'd sort of done it with George and mm. tested the waters and just seen what I could do I thought well let's just take it a step further and if if I don't try and I don't push myself to see what I can achieve then I'll never know and I probably always regret it um yeah. and so I did I, I packed up my bags I um took a year of leave from my medical degrees uh my degree rather um i moved from edinburgh down to henley uh didn't know anyone and just started rowing at um leander club which is kind of one of the big fancy main um clubs in in britain it's all very different to sort of my wee club club rowing up north (laughs) out in glasgow and up in edinburgh so yeah it was a bit crazy but i'm also quite well, I'm absolutely delighted that I, I yes. made that decision. Wow, I love that you just took that, almost a risk. You took the risk to sort of believe in yourself and go, yeah, I'm going to listen to my potential and I'm going to fulfil it. Yeah, it was, you know, it was really risky. And I think, I remember actually having like really long conversations with my parents about it. And I don't think they were... They weren't like the best pleased, to be honest, and maybe they wouldn't rec- maybe they wouldn't admit that now, because you know I think they're really delighted how things have all panned out, and and they're I mean they're like my rocks, they're so supportive. But I remember at the time them being like, really, <laughs> do you really think that you can make the Olympics? Like, you you know, and um, is this really what you want to do? You know, like medicine's really important and it's very valuable, and you love that too, and and so it it was yeah it was a bit of a sort of a leap of faith mm. i suppose you'd say so practically how did you manage your time between you know studying to be a doctor your intense olympic training and presumably socializing at university so i guess there's like two parts to that so i did uh, rowing and tr- trialing for Great Britain and my medical degree um, when I was younger. So that was pre-2010. And then I came back to finish my degree in t- 2016 and I had three years to finish. Um, okay. And I would say, <laughs> I would say initially, 
I was um, a bit of a disaster because, yeah, I, you know, I was young and I wanted to do the socializing thing and rowing was a big social um, side of things. Um, but obviously medicine is very hard. So medicine kind of took the hit. I was really bad at um, university for the first couple of years. My grades were pretty terrible. And, you know, like I'd done well at school and stuff. I, I think I just didn't really know how to apply myself properly in a in a sort of university yeah. academic setting um and all the kind of tools that i used to use at school were not quite as readily available um mm. and so my thought of how i'm going to learn ended up being very ineffective <laughs> i would say <laughs> and then you know i think i was just totally caught up in rowing and like you say making friends and doing all the other stuff that you can do around university so although I kind of managed to just about claw it together, I wouldn't say it's the way to do it, if I'm honest. Um, and don't get me wrong, I had a great time. Um, and you know, I'm sat here now and I, I ultimately I got my degree and I did really well, and, and, but I had to do a lot of learning along the way. So second time round when I came back, um, I think I really, like I recognized this, I recognized that I needed to learn how to learn. Um, and so I completely changed the way that I studied. Like I used to take note, like reams and reams and reams of notes. Um, yeah. And essentially you're like writing out a textbook, aren't you? Um, and that was just so ineffective. <laughs> so, you know, I would just, I stopped, yeah. I stopped doing that. And so then, yeah, the second time around, I did have to be more disciplined. So I would have to, you know, make sure that I allotted a, a, a decent amount of time to do my studying, make sure that I also gave myself time to go and hang out with some friends or even make friends. Cause you know, it was, it, I was going into a completely new year again. Um, and yeah, using the yeah. things that I love to make sure that I, cause you know, I would say I'm a social person. I like, I like having a lot of people around me. So making sure that the things that I love doing were part of that so whether that was rowing or in medicine you know I would make study groups so that the people that I were close to me I could like, we could like hang out and learn from each other and yeah. and then also just times where you're like right I just need a massive blowout and I need to go and do some drinking and you know and well yeah <laughs> throw absolutely terrible shapes on um, a really sticky dance floor so <laughs> Which is like, it's really important, isn't it? Especially, I mean, you know, not when you're old and decrepit like me, but when you're 19, you have to do these things. Otherwise, you'll regret it as well, you know? I definitely agree. I love that. I like that you're an athlete as well and you're advocating just a big layout. Like, it's not always, you know, nose to the grind. It's essential no. to me. You need to, you definitely need to remember what you're missing. Because I think, do you know, I think doing that kind of thing every single weekend, it must get so boring. Whereas oh, yeah. when you're an athlete, you've got so much more stuff going on that when you do go and have a great party and it means, I think yeah. it means so much more to you. It's so much more fun because you really let your hair go and, and you know, ha yeah, I agree. have some great stories. <laughs> <laughs> oh, intriguing. So I recently have really clung to the idea of role models. I have a vision board in my bedroom with women on it who I think are inspiring. Obviously, Michelle Obama's up there. And I'm wondering if you have any role models and who they are or why they inspire you. 
I massively do. Like, it's really funny. Um, the whole me and my friend I used to row with this um called Jen Reed. Uh. We used to keep like um training diaries and in the back of our training diaries we would like stick a little picture of somebody that we wanted to be like in the back of our training diary and like you know yeah it was was stuff like that so like someone obviously for me growing up who was um in the rowing world huge was Catherine Granger and she learned to row on the canal which is where I learned to row um and she learned to row Edinburgh and I was a, a school in Edinburgh and and so, and she, you know, she's sort of had this quest for Olympic gold and, um, you know, ended up going to five Olympic Games, I think. And um, yeah. so f- for me, obviously, she was, in terms of my rowing model, for sure, um, my rowing role model, rather, she was for sure the sort of person that I would look to, which meant that when I then got to Caversham, which is where we train in the training centre, yes. and I put my bag down and I looked up and there was Catherine Granger, yeah. I honestly... My heart was in my mouth. I couldn't even look at her in the oh face. I was like, oh my goodness, that's the actual Catherine Granger. <laughs> she's the most decorated female Olympian, isn't she? She's absolutely amazing. Wow. And she's so relaxed and calm. And like, oh, hi, how are you? And honestly, like, 12-year-old me was sort of crying <laughs> with excitement inside. <laughs> and I had to pretend to be all cool. But, um, yeah. pretend, pretend? Polly? Polly, you are cool. <laughs> absolutely. But I absolutely do yeah, think that role models help you to sort of project what you could be into your life. You know, someone who's really inspiring. You know, what is it about them that holds your attention? What is it that is making them appeal to you? And then what are they doing? Or what did they do to get to where they are? Can you mimic some of that, etc.? And the older I get, you know, being the old lady that I am now, the more I realise how crucial it is to sort of surround yourself, not just physically, it can be like you, you know, having that picture in the back of your training book, just having constant visual and maybe you know, sound reminders of what is important to you in life and why you keep needing to sort of strive towards that goal. I agree, and it doesn't have to be... Like, obviously, Catherine, for me, was somebody quite removed from my, like, general life until I became, you know, part of the team. But even, I would say, people who are closer to home and, and, you know... Totally. People you go to school with, friends, family, anyone, I think you can draw a lot of inspiration and um, from people around around you, and that that is very powerful. Um, and it's something I've definitely done sort of throughout my life. Whether it's sticking somebody in the back of a wee photo, someone in the back of a book, you know, a wee diary, or or whatever it is, but yeah, I think it's powerful and it's cool. And cooler still that you're probably in some girls and women's training books they've tagged you in their pinterest of look this is what polly swan can do if she can do that i can do this (laughs) so you're training right now for the olympics so what does your daily or weekly schedule of training look like it is intense at the moment we're in our winter block of training and so i train between two and three times a day every day apart from a sunday which we either will have off or um sometimes we have to go in and do a session there at the moment it's long low mileage um so sort of two and uh, sorry an hour and a half to two hour sessions on the water uh the same in the gym two hour sessions in the gym and then usually we'll do a good hour and 15 
um, oh on the rowing machine as well. So they're, they're, it's intense. And so we're all, the whole team is really tired, <laughs> absolutely knackered. <laughs> So you like squeeze in as many naps as you can into the day. Um, And yeah, you've got to make sure you're up on your nutrition as well, because if you don't fuel properly, then there's no way you're going to get through, you know, all all that training. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask Polly, what do you eat? Like, how do you fuel all that training? Literally everything. (laughs) Eat so many. We have kind of three big meals in a day but then you'd have another you kind of have another two meals essentially in the day on top of what you would normally eat um just to keep you going and keep you fueled and then sometimes just some grazing snacks as well and it's all doing it wrong it's all good stuff i can't just go and have a domino's and um you know, <laughs> chips <laughs> yeah as much as i'd love to but um no yeah you've just gotta uh, you've gotta get the food in and you've got to have some naughties as well we always have dessert pretty much every day it's pretty good (laughs) but that's for the soul dessert is for the soul you know absolutely it's for the soul a life without pudding no thank you (laughs) so what is a day like for you in training because it's I imagine it's kind of like your nine to five job is it but you've got to have recovery in there and when it what time are you on the water we turn up at sort of between 7.15 and 7.45, depending where we are, what we're doing. Um, and then you usually get back. So you do three sessions in the day, um, four days a week, and then two sessions a day. So we get a half day on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and then um, Sundays, yes. Yeah, so we'll do either a day off, which is often needed, or we'll go in and do one session in the morning before going home. So. I mean, no wonder you can sleep for England, Polly. <laughs> well, thank goodness it's a full-time job these days because, uh, yeah, I could not fit that in with anything else. No, but you know, I'm speaking to people who are doing like 30 hours of training a week or, you know, really fitting in these hours around their sort of office job. Maybe they can do it because they're in an office job and they're quite sedentary, but I don't know how sustainable it is long-term for sure, for some I'm positive it is because they're doing it, but for the vast majority of people, I think it's a, a no-no. I don't know if it's sustainable. I, th- I So in my last year of medicine, I was doing training, and don't get me wrong, I was a very pared-down version of, of what I'm doing now. I would train once a day in the week and then twice a day at the weekends. But yeah, yeah I mean... Yeah one year of that was enough it was many tears and there was many little meltdowns and bless my coaches had um had a lot of uh yeah like tired grumpy poly to deal with but yeah it was ultimately worth it absolutely you became an olympian so clearly you're competing and competing at the highest level and interestingly, though participation of women in sport across all sporting boards has significantly increased, the amount of women competing has not. I'm wondering if you have any insight or any thoughts as to why that is. Yeah, you know, it's a question that I often think about. And um, I know that a lot is being done to try and persuade women to, you know, test themselves and and they obviously enjoy sport, they enjoy activity, they enjoy being part of teams. But I wonder, and I wonder from my own experience, you know, do we maybe lack a bit of confidence that we don't, you know, we have this maybe idea that we we don't want to fail, a fear of failure or something. And and certainly that was part of my own issues that I had to work, work around when I was younger. 
and you know yeah. to, to some extent I would say that's the same um now like you know on a daily basis I have to kind of confront that fear and um that lack of confidence that I have in myself um and you know I don't know if that is just part of the way that society has kind of shaped being a woman or if there's different things going on there but there's definitely something to be said by you know I, I think about when I grew up kind of thing and just even in the playground like all the lads would be out playing football wouldn't they and and there would yes. only be a couple of girls who would join in everyone else would kind of oh they'd maybe want to like hold themselves back and whether it's a case of I don't know not not wanting to look a certain way or or I, I'm not sure and, and I, I and I think things are really changing like I would say there's a lot to be said for things like social media yes okay there can be quite harmful effects of social media but you know I see so many amazing women who are unashamedly stating their goals in terms of you know they want to go and run a marathon or you know they want to be a businesswoman or maybe they're um you know I don't know an artist or something and and they're they're really push, putting themselves out there and showing the world how how fantastic and um, impressive they can be and yeah. how they're the top of their game. And and I do hope that that means that it's kind of filtering through to to younger generations and and we can change this kind of fear of failure. And I, I'm not saying that's definitely it, but certainly from my side of things and me growing up, that that yeah. definitely hampered me for a number of years. Um, Whereas I, I do wonder if, if we just kind of, as a society, nurture, well, give it a go if you're a boy sort of thing. Um, but I don't know, that's, that, I mean, I, I, that's definitely just my own opinion. It's not, hmm. not that of anyone else. Well, I love that opinion. <laughs> but I do worry, you know, I do worry about that because I just think, and I, and I, you know, I sometimes catch myself as well, say with friends, kids or, you know, family, like, oh wow you're such a clever boy like so brave where and I might go like oh you're such a pretty girl aren't you so good and you think well hang on a minute why have I said that you know and and, and do you know it's not that the little boy isn't pretty and the little boy isn't good or that the little girl isn't yeah, clever yeah. but you you just I do sometimes catch myself saying things and I'm like hang on a minute am I just fueling the fire of like yeah. making little girls be sort of quiet and unambitious yes. by saying that you're so good and well behaved um yeah. and it's such a tiny little thing isn't it but um yeah, yeah I, I do hope that I, I do think things are moving in the right direction I think being a bold and ambitious woman is no no longer or certainly not feared and it's not seen as maybe yeah. I don't know a bad no, thing I, agree. I, I think yeah. things are definitely changing yeah, and actually changing pretty rapidly. Now, of course, we're speaking from the perspective of two white privileged UK women. And, you know, across the continent, it's just not the case. Um, and even still in the UK, you know, two women a week are murdered by their partners. So it's interesting, actually, that you bring up the word fear. You know, women are less fearful of putting themselves out there and potentially defying the stereotypes of what it is to be a woman, which let's be honest, is quite hard work. <laughs> it's much easier and safer to be compliant with pre-existing notions of gender. 
So regarding nature and nurture and to bring it back to competition, I do think it will take a long while until we're actually able to say, well, it's in women's nature to not be competitive. You know, arguably from my spiritual side of this with yoga, to not be competitive is the goal. Um, you know, it's to be happy with oneself. It's not to need to prove yourself to anybody the idea that you are enough and you know potentially not having that competitive side naturally within you could be a real asset that you could harness to help improve your self-esteem. Who said that competition is king? But I will say that often people who carry the notion that women aren't competitive will often say things how you know women are competitive with each other they're catty with each other you know competitive over a man when it's the competition that's not going to benefit them yeah women are silly and in that category but if it's to do with sport you know typically man things or or you know they just don't apply for these jobs etc it's like well it's just, just women don't aren't naturally competitive <laughs> But if there's a man involved and they're fighting over him, I mean, <laughs> the claws are out. <laughs> so I'm not sure if it's nature or nurture, but I would say it's probably more nurture. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I think it is more nurture um, because I, I definitely remember the feeling that I wanted to go and play football, but I was too shy yeah. or like I couldn't tell if my friends wanted to either. So we just didn't. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's a communication thing, isn't it? Like, if you don't say yeah. to your your friends, oh, let's join in. Or, you yeah. know, silly things. Like, I, I'm sure I remember, you know, boys in my class being like, no, no girls allowed. Because, you know, they're yeah. eight and they don't know better, right? Um, yeah. And Pretty normal. Yeah, exactly. And so I do, I do think there's a lot of little things. And I know it might seem smaller at the time and not a really big deal but I think it's just adding little layers onto maybe reasons why women hold themselves back and have that fear um you know should I be doing this should I be as outspoken should I be as competitive um and yeah it's definitely I would say it's definitely something that I've like battled with um and sometimes got wrong so sometimes I might seem a bit more obnoxious and annoying and outspoken because I'm like well hang on a minute that's part of me and then yeah. you, you know um but actually I quite like that when, I, when I'm like that <laughs> so, I'm not gonna lie I love that so obviously we're in agreement that the role of women is changing but you know is there even a role still what do you think the role of women is today what is the role of women? I feel like I have the whole world of women on my shoulders right now. Um, do you know, I just think it's to be, like for any woman is to be the person that you are and unashamedly the person that you are. And if that is somebody who is caring and loving and giving, or if that is somebody who's ambitious, or if it's somebody who's caring, ambitious and, sassy or you know whatever it is it can be anything in between and there's so many facets to a woman's personality and we have this real capacity to yeah ha have so much so many feathers in our in our cap um and i yeah. think it's to not be ashamed of that anymore and y you know we can be a caregiver we we can be a family woman and we can also have the the ambitious side of ourselves 
um, two, or you, you know, you can you can just be any anyone you want to be, basically. Um, yeah. And you shouldn't feel restricted by your gender. Um, and I, I think that's our role now. I think we we have now not that we needed it, but it's like you have permission now to just be yourself. And I think that's exciting. That's a very exciting thing. And and support each other through that. Um, yeah, I'm yeah. A, I'm a big believer that we should be able to express ourselves mm, and, and 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 help each other along. Damn the way. straight. <laughs> totally agree which is why which is why i'm so pleased that i've just woken up from a nap and you said thank goodness you don't have to be on video and i was like yeah no my my bed hair is just terrible but i don't even care (laughs) we can be fabulous women without nice hair (laughs) i just want to clear things up for listeners i was joking with regards to polly not having to be on video, but it does kind of perfectly highlight the change or the progression with regards to the role of appearance and beauty with women. So for instance, Polly and I don't, I assume Polly, you don't <laughs> feel as though we need to squish our waists into corsets or in China, women's feet were bound. We no longer do that. And women's uh, dreams and hopes and ambitions go beyond now just having a husband or looking a certain way which I don't think or I would suspect is most women's um main desire now they might have it as a you know as a little bit of a priority to look good to find love etc but it's no longer um their only achievement but of course cross-culturally you know if I was to ask that question in a different country or continent I would probably get a massively different answer than the one that me and Polly would say. And who is to say that one is right? I would say, however, that tradition should never come at the cost of equality or human rights. I know, I don't, I mean, it's, of course, it's not the same everywhere. And I, do you know, feel it a very privileged place because I am, do you know, I am white, middle class, 32 year old who is incredibly privileged and and I can be here as an athlete and uh, you know will be a doctor next year and I do have lots of ambitions for my life and um I feel that that is amazing and I would love yeah I would love for more people around the world to have the same opportunities I have and like I said I think only by supporting each other can we maybe make that real you know make that dream a realization and um i you know there's a huge huge um road to travel in terms of um reaching more equality uh, certainly yeah. globally yes and i totally agree with you on the importance of supporting each other as being a fundamental catalyst into globally changing women's rights and equality and equity you know, accounting for our differences and respecting those differences and not shaming or seeing them as lesser than. But I will say this on the argument of culture and gender roles. It is interesting that across cultures and continents and countries, it is pretty ubiquitous that the man's role is that of domineering, of power, of land owning and up until recently but very much still the case in many countries the possessor of women you know think of mr and mrs the etymology of mrs being misters as in he owns you 
when you got married, <laughs> which is insane. So my question to you, dear listeners, is what is the role of women if we live in a world where the majority of women were the CEOs, the politicians, they ran the media? What is your role then? Does it change? one sort of universal very big decision or surprise (laughs) is that of having children whether you want them or can have them or or don't want them can't have them it seems to be a question that will inevitably come up in a woman's life as a sportswoman your job is inherently very physical so presumably you'd have to take more time out from your work than an office worker, for instance, to have children. So I'm wondering if this has affected your aspirations or your vision or how you sort of see your life playing out. What I'm getting at really is if we take into account the pragmatics of having a baby, you know, a woman has to grow it for nine months um, and afterwards, you know, there's a recovery period. But beyond that, Technically, there's no difference from having, you know, being a woman and having a baby and being a man and having a baby. Whereas I'm not sure if a man would consider having children affecting his career. So perhaps you don't see this in your future, but perhaps you do. And is it a thought that you've had or you've had to sort of seriously consider where or how you're going to manage your career? It's something that I think about a lot, actually. Um, I think a lot because I would love to have a family and... um, I have always seen myself as, um, you know, one day having children um, and, a f- and, and building a family and that I, th- I think that's something very special. Um, and I'm not going to lie, I don't think I've ever considered continuing rowing and doing that as well. And that, do you know, there are a number of... Um, female rowers who have children and who have carried on rowing um yeah. so one uh, so the irish world champion Sinita Pespura is uh, a mother of two and she is this most incredible woman i mean she's just fabulous um yeah. and you know she she's made it work and and i find that really inspirational um yeah. i suppose she must have had her children when she was a bit younger um whereas i'm 32 so haven't you know it's not happened yet kind of thing and um I think I have always thought listen it's you you know there's never a perfect time um but I would probably see myself having kids sort of in my mid to late 30s and I I came to that realization quite early I think in um my life I think I thought there's all these things I would like to achieve and um, that's still the case, you know, certainly with medicine as well. So, I mean, my plan is to retire from sport at the end of um, this uh, this season. Um, So after the Tokyo Olympics and then move um, back up north and and start my career as a doctor. so you know yeah it 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 won't be it won't affect my sporting life but it certainly will affect my career as a doctor and you know there is plenty of support and i think there's lots of um there's lots of incredibly high flying women who are 
you know, surgeons and GPs and, um, you know, A&E consultants and, and, and they make it work. Um, and so I, I do actually ask a lot of the women that I come in contact with, you know, how is it? How do you find having a family? And this one resounding message I've always had back is that there's never a time that is right. And people spend a lot of time waiting. Um, yeah. But it will never be the perfect moment to have a kid. Um, but you've just got to do it when it feels right for you. So I've kind yeah. of just held on to that. Um and and also I always ask, you know, I just worry that if I've, you know, I'm a bit older and so if I want to have children as well, then maybe, you know, I don't know, anaesthetics or surgery is not for me and I should try something else that's more compatible yeah. with family life. And resoundingly, again, I think people keep saying, no, 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 you must do something you love. You must, yeah. you know, the, the support will be there. So I think in the NHS, it, you know, I, I will be lucky to have that support. And that's not to say it won't be hard. I think it is hard and it's not the same being a woman and being a man and having children. It, it's, you know, the the caregiver's role is just different. Um, but yeah, certainly I think that there will be, there will be support there and, and it, you know, I'm excited for that part of my life. But yeah, I mean, I think about it a lot, like probably on a weekly basis, you know, yeah yeah <laughs> I mean you know it's part I, I don't know if it's part of being a mum uh, sorry part of being a a woman you know wanting to be a mum but yeah. it's always you know for me always been a big thing mm. I definitely want a family and um well I hope you get that Polly oh me too I mean I will even if I can't have kids do you know I will adopt so yeah, yeah. <laughs> well there's a will there's a way yeah exactly for sure i think you know i think it's something just very special so you know why would you why would you you i think you can have both right you don't have to be yeah this person who isolates that side of your of who you are so yeah watch your space maybe in 10 years i'll have a wee baby and (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure it will happen do you know recently i was speaking well i was dating a pediatrician (laughs) tell us more (laughs) (laughs) well he told me and correct me if he is wrong (laughs) that whether your pregnancy is geriatric or not you know within reason depends on where you live because it depends on how experienced with that sort of age group of women the pediatricians are or the midwives are. So for instance, in South Kensington, women might be having their babies in their late 30s, early 40s, whereas somewhere else in the world, it might be, you know, most women having their first baby or whatever around their early 20s. And depending on how experienced the medical team are there, that can kind of dictate whether a pregnancy is geriatric or not. Again, within reason. But this kind of makes sense because if you go to, I don't know, sub-Saharan Africa, where I presume women are having children much younger, you would have, for them, a geriatric pregnancy would be God, I don't know, mid, mid-twenties maybe. I have no idea. But I find that bit so interesting. And of course, <laughs> I haven't studied that or read that. This is just what my date told me. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, yeah, that's a really good point. I think you, we can't escape from the fact that if you are older, there are more in, there's increased risks during the pregnancy. Um, there's increased risks to the fetus for, you know, things like Down syndrome um but even just like going through labor um there are many more risks if you are older um 
But I think you're right. I think, do you know, I have faith in um, the medical system. I have faith in the fact that if something went wrong and I was pregnant, um, you know, I'd have we're very lucky to have the NHS and I would have a wealth of experience to be able to help me through that and and I hope that I'm you know not being selfish by waiting um to have it have children when it's right for me but um you know I try to keep myself healthy and um I think being an athlete hopefully will mean that you know I'm in pretty good shape and hopefully it'll all be okay but you know it's just I I think it's I, I do think that many women have a fear of of um, either not being able to have kids or something going wrong along the way. I don't think that's something you know. I don't. I don't think that's not alone specific. Enough. Yeah, to whether you're eighteen and having a child, twenty five or thirty five or forty five. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I, I think we are lucky to be where we are and and be in this sort of healthcare system that we have. Um, and I'm hoping that I will be fine and, and yeah other mothers who are older like me will also be fine um, when the time comes so. right on so you said that you try to keep yourself healthy I mean obviously you do because you're an athlete essential to keep your body and mind in tip top condition kind of all the time I presume uh, are there any things that you do where you really demand space and time for yourself you know outside of work kind of where you really self care yeah, and you know, one really silly thing that I do all the time, and I didn't realise that it's something that I need for me until I stopped doing it. And then I was like, hang on, I need this in my life. Oh, <laughs> and it is singing at the top of my voice, absolutely terribly, in the car, as loud as I possibly can, and sometimes dancing along with it as well. And do you know, I I stopped doing that about a year ago. And, I, and then in... Um, what? well I had an absolutely dreadful breakup but never mind (laughs) and then I started doing it again and I started singing and dancing around my flat which is quite useful because at the time I was living on my own I was like oh my goodness I love doing this this is me and I found you know when you like find yourself again I was like oh yes singing completely out of tune and dancing like an absolute mad woman is perfect um so yeah and honestly i probably do it every day sing really really loudly and out of tune and it's funny because my mum who is she's actually a very good um singer and she has been part of um the edinburgh choral union for years and years and years and she's always lectured me polly singing is good for the soul you have to join a choir it's really good for you and every year i've been like yeah 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 whatever 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 and now i'm like oh you're so right it is really good for you it gives you so many endorphins you just feel great and obviously music you know it can be anything you want if it wants if you want to be like angry shouty music you can have that if you want like soulful jazz you can have that if you want like crying music you know anything and so honestly it's part of, I think it's part of being me now and I've realized that that's what I need <laughs> and even better if someone wants to do it with you that's the best because you can both be complete wallies dancing around the front room to like Beyonce and you just feel amazing so yeah I do it on a frequent basis and I think it's I would highly recommend just let go and find find a wooden spoon and start singing into it it's the best oh that's so wholesome <laughs> and so cheap and anyone could do that okay moving on to the questions of what advice would you give to yourself Polly what advice would you give to your 12 year old self seen as that's when things started to change for you 
Oh, I would just say to myself to not, not hold myself back and find my confidence and that it's okay. It's okay to fail because you'll learn from that. Um, and I definitely, I spent a long time holding myself back and, and being afraid of failing. And so I'm glad I've, yeah, I, I would say in general, I've grown out of that. Um, and, you know, just keep reminding myself, it's okay. It's okay to fail. Just keep trying. It might be the same sort of response, but do you have any advice for women and girls who are thinking about doing sport professionally? Yeah, I mean, I think just give it a go. And, you know, if it means taking a bit of a risk. Like for me, I moved countries for it. Um, and it was a massive risk, but it's, I would never, I've, I've never looked back. I've never regretted it. Um, and I think if you can do that, if you can look yourself in the eye when you're 50 years old and say, nope, I, I do not regret making that decision, then yeah, you'll have a fantastic time no matter what happens. Trust yourself, just do it. To monopolise on Nike. They sold such a good slogan, didn't they? So if you are listening to this, or for instance, you've been thinking for a while, oh, I really need to exercise, you know, it's so good for my health, etc. But your natural inclination is not to exercise. As someone who lives and breathes exercise, do you have any recommendations for people who want to start out exercising? Or maybe they are exercising but haven't yet progressed into competing and they quite fancy it but not sure. Any advice for these people? So I would say if you're going to start exercising, for me the number one thing about exercise and about team, uh, about sport is that I love being with people. Um, you know, if it's me having to get myself up to go for a run in the rain on, uh, you know, six o'clock in the morning before work, of course I'm not going to do it either. Um, for me, <laughs> sport is about being social and yeah. having fun. Um, yeah. And so I would like look and see where you can meet other like-minded people. Think about a sport or an activity that you enjoy, whether that's like walking club or cycling club or running club or yoga or like zoom cla zumba classes like whatever it is something that draws people together i think is really powerful and obviously that's hard in covid isn't it but even whilst we're in this moment of isolation um we can be together yeah you know in, in that way um, and then in terms of competing, I think it's just taking little baby steps. Like one massive hurdle is entering your first, I don't know, park fun run, right? Um, and then just see where it goes. Yeah, and again, like surround yourself with, if, if I don't know, the thing that you love is running, like get some friends round and do it together you know okay let's enter this race together or, or let's just try it and and again yeah just don't don't fear failing it doesn't matter as long as you've tried your hardest and your best yeah. doesn't it doesn't matter you might surprise yourself so um i think enjoy it first and then yes. the performance will come a happy athlete is always a fast athlete oh what a finisher my god polly <laughs> That was amazing. Um, We're going to end it here. I've enjoyed this so much. So many giggles. Is there anything, any last words you'd like to say? No, I just had a great time. How nice. Oh, Polly. <laughs> if only we could see each other.
face to face and you know I do this over a cup of tea instead of being COVID. Bloody COVID, hey? <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, Polly. I hope you have a really lovely rest of your evening. Thank you. Have a nice evening and nice to chat to you. And that was the wrap of episode four with Polly Swan, the Olympic GB rower and junior doctor. Wasn't she amazing? I love her. I'm so lucky to get to interview these amazing women. They're all so kind and inspiring and so down to earth. On our next episode, episode five, we have the fantastic journalist and author, writer and women's rights extraordinaire, the amazing Priyanka Dubry. Absolutely not to be missed if you're interested in the situation of being a woman in India. From the bottom of my heart, I hope you are safe and well and enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. 